Hangman, hangman, hold it a little while. I think I see my friends coming, riding me in my heart. Friends, did you get some silver? Bring a little gold. Why did you bring me, my dear friends? Gallows pole. Couldn't get no silver, couldn't get no gold. You know what I'm for to keep it from the gallows pole. Hangman, hangman. A little while, you see my brother coming riding in my mind. Brother, did you get a little silver? Did you get a little gold? Why did you bring me my brother to keep you from the gallows pole? Well, I bought a little silver, bought a little gold, bought a little anything to keep you from the gallows pole. Hangman, hangman, hold a little while. Sister, I'd implore you, take him by the hand, take him to some shady bow and save him from the wrath of this man, 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 man. Please save me, we're saving from the wrath of this man. Brother bought a little silver, bought a little gold, bought a little everything to keep you from the gallows pole. Your sister wore my bedroom, your sister wore my soul. Now I laugh and pull so hard, I see you swing on the gallows pole, swing on the gallows pole, swing on the gallows pole. Okay, Gallows Pole with Zeppelin. Hopefully that came out okay. Welcome everyone, pushing up the podcast. Just put the guitar down over there. Episode, episode 
22, I think. Yes. Episode 22. Um, today, the 11th of October, 2016, the day after the... Uh, or a couple of days in Australia, or a day after... Well, I'm ahead of you one day. day after the Trump... Um, Clinton debate, uh, which I did watch. I managed to watch more of this one than the first one because maybe the disease, diseased and evil granny's voice is... I'm getting used to it, I'm not going to say. Or well, it's growing on me like a fungus, so I'm not, I'm not as, you know, I'm not as adverse to it as I was before. And also because, you know, Trump blew her out of the water. Uh, we all know about, you know, you probably all heard, watched the thing and read all the stuff. The thing I didn't understand, though, was some of the stuff that Clinton came out, some of her answers to the questions, which obviously she'd had them and she had pre-prepared. I mean, she sounded just like she was reading off a script. But some of the stuff that she was coming out with, I, I just... I just don't... I mean, I'm not... It's not like I closely follow US politics. I, I, I really don't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd class myself as barely literate on the subject of US politics but I know enough to know at least some stuff and the question that she had to answer about Obamacare and she rattled on about basically not only you know keeping it going but extending the giant disaster I really was hoping that Trump was going to come back and blow her out of the water when she was the chair of the task force on national health care reform it was back in in 1993 when her husband was president and he appointed her to that task force for the sole reason as the chair of that task force for the sole reason uh that you know she was his wife well okay she had um done something with reforming the arkansas education system but She completely stuffed it up. She completely stuffed it up. And and I I know this, not because I'm following it so much, but because the other day I was watching an old YouTube clip um, from Christopher Hitchens um, talking about this. And this is back in 1999. And this is what he said. Um, very near, I'm quoting now from Hitchens. Very nearly single-handedly took the work of many people of many years to build up a consensus on national health coverage, universal health care, and just piss it away in a couple of months. So that's now, so that now there's no question in anybody's mind the health care situation in the United States is much worse than when the Clintons were elected. Very much worse, steeply worse for both the profession and the patient because of the takeover of the whole health care business by the HMO racket. Probably one of the greatest single social disasters of this century. I don't see how she gets a Senate seat for that. So this was back in 99 when I was talking about her getting a Senate seat because, you know, why? Well, you know, she felt that she was owed one because she'd put up with her husband for so many years. So she's got form. She's got serious form in regards to health care in the United States, as in fucking that up to such an extent that Obamacare was, was just about inevitable. And yet, and yet she, she's just got a free hand on this. Oh, I, I don't understand. I mean, surely Trump would know this stuff. I, I, I just consider this to be pretty basic. I mean, if you look at the, the Wikipedia, 
the Wikipedia entry on on her. Well, here we go. First Lady of the United States, Roller's First Lady, and banging straight after that healthcare and other policy initiatives with a separate Clinton healthcare plan of 1993, a huge lot of stuff. And then we've got Whitewater and then Lewinsky scandal, traditional duties, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's there in bold. How can, how can Trump not be using this and just throwing it back in her face? I do not know. So that was, that was, kind, of, that was kind of frustrating to me a little bit uh, on, um, on the debate. But obviously, um, obviously Trump did it very well. Uh, and we've got one more debate to go. Um, the mainstream media, of course, is calling it a draw, which means that that means a Trump one. Um, so um, standard stuff, standard stuff going on there. Uh, other stuff going on. Um, I had this um, this girl commenting on my blog. Um, and so her name's Ashley Figuerelli, uh, and uh, she's studying at Columbus State Community College. Um, and her photo on her Facebook thing is her and a friend. I don't know which one's her. I'm assuming the one holding the stick, but she she looks pretty SJW-ish to me. She posted on one of my uh i had a post from back in august mid-august uh on my blog a post called there's no such thing as marital rape and that was that was um inspired by an excellent interview that vox day had with a feminist on the fact that the term marital rape is an oxymoron it's a contradiction in terms um as fox said i'll read it here uh you only have to join the army once. You don't get the choice to consent to obey orders every single time an order is given. In certain arrangements, and marriage is one of them, the agreement is a lasting one, and that's why it's something that should not be entered into lightly, which is why there's no such thing as marital rape, as for other reasons, which I completely agree with, and it was I really liked the way he put that. Um, this probably got one of the um, most comments on my blog of anything. Anyway, this, this Ashley Figarelli girl uh, contacted me um about a week ago uh hi i was wondering if you could give any info on your personal view of why you feel so strong with the way you do on this topic i'm writing a paper actually i'm gonna actually read it how she wrote it i'm writing paper and i have to be fair to the other party as to if i'm going to put my personal story into this i have to let the other have their personal view about this thanks i despair for the future she looks about 18, so I don't know what personal fucking um, experience she has on marital rape. But anyway, my response, I don't understand. Are you saying that you're writing a paper on my own personal views against some other unknown individual to me? Why on earth would you do that? Because, you know, I'm just not going to let this slide of this, this terrible bloody grammar. Here she goes again today. She got back to me. Well, I have to write an argumentative essay. Scary. And I was going to put my personal view on why I feel the way I do on this topic. And to be fair to you, I want to have your own personal view as well. Why does she need to be fair to me? I don't understand. Why am I in this? I just, I wrote a post. You make some good points, but, comma, I was 
You don't need to put a comma after but most of the time. I was just wondering if there, spelt T-H-E-I-R, was any more depth to why you feel the way you do on this topic. You don't have to by any means, but if you would like to, I can give you my email. I'm doing this for a paper, not because I necessarily want to ha-ha. You are the only legit article I can find that does not believe marital rape exists. So it's interesting. She's of the um, kiddie-like belief, the kidlet belief, that you can only have a personal view on something, that if you have a, a strong personal view of something, it must be because you've had a traumatic experience. This is the way that children think and rationalise. Reply for me. My article is my personal view. Also, you have the link to Vox Day's article that I quoted, which then links to the article at Heat Street, which then gives you three articles on the same side of the topic. Fair enough, I thought. She then replies, this was all today. I understand your article is your personal view, but, comma again, I was wondering if maybe you had a personal story behind it. Of course. How did you come up with the points you gave? Do you have, have a healthy marriage? Have you ever had a spouse saying they felt forced or pressured by you? Do you feel like the privacy of your marriage has ever been invaded when it shouldn't have? Maybe you have a healthy marriage, so you never have found a reason for there to be such a thing as marital rape and the idea just seems silly. If you want to keep your privacy to yourself, that's okay, and I'd be more than happy to share some of my personal stories as well as if you would like. Thanks. I can think of nothing worse than having her share her personal stories with me. Uh, this sounds like a complete, either she's completely clueless or it's a complete trap, which I don't mind. I responded. My views are not formed by any marital event, untoward or not, but merely by using facts and logic to come to a position on the matter. I find that people who base their viewpoints on emotional happenings tend to be enslaved to the subjugation of their feelings. This leads to unclear and tainted thinking. Response from her. I feel like in the end it all comes down to a personal or emotional experience that makes one person go one way, other the other. But oh, fuck, I have to read that again. I feel like in the end it all comes down to a personal or emotional experience that makes one person go one way other the other. Oh, she must have meant all the other. But, comma again, if you're worried about being biased, that's fine. How do these people get into university? Columbia University? Oh, fuck. Final response from me. This is when I unloaded. If you base your logical positions on random occurrences and experiences, then you will be a slave to your circumstances. The evolved, the evolved individual rises above the many events in his life. I'm not going to use the third person. I'm using proper English. And seeks out knowledge using facts and logic. He then compares these with his own experiences and seeks to understand where his emotions are getting in the way. Let me put it another way. If you base your logical position on personal experiences and emotion, then it only makes sense that you cannot have any position on a subject of which you have no personal experience. This is the age-old attack on someone who is speaking on a topic such as the poor, for example, who is shouted down as his opinion is deemed irrelevant because he has never been poor himself. This is flawed, however, with even a cursory examination. Based on this logic, if you were diagnosed with cancer, then would you only want a doctor to treat you who had suffered cancer themselves? Such a position would be foolishness in the extreme. I didn't hear back from her. Look, either she was fishing and trying to get an SJW plan, or this is, but that aside, this is actually interesting because a lot of people think this way, particularly young people. They think that if you have an opinion on something 
And if you clearly and concisely put your opinion, like there's no such thing as marital rape, then you must have had a tra traumatic experience. It's the only way for them to understand because they base all their ex all their decisions and all their logic stuff that they've, they've come up against with their own experiences or things they've seen on TV, probably. Kidlets, boys, men, many girls are listening. Um, for God's sake, get your emotions out of the way. Go and look for facts and logic. Facts and logic. Listen to people talk. Listen to their arguments. The worst thing about basing your own, your own position on subjects such as this on your emotions is that as soon as you hear someone saying something contrary to what you emotionally believe, then the only thing you can do to survive is stick your hands over your ears and go la 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 la. Because emotionally you can't handle a contrary opinion. Well, this is, the, this is the behavior of children. This girl just doesn't get that at all. I mean, at all. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite stunning to me in that, in that regard. On the subject of marriage. So today I wrote a post on my opposition to gay marriage. I've long held opposition to gay marriage um, for a few reasons. And I spelt that out today, and I thought I'd talk about it on, on the blog post, on the blog, on the, what is this, podcast episode. Because um, there are quite a number of people who listen to the podcast but don't read the blog because they prefer to just to hear things as they're, as they're cruising on. And I think this is a really important thing. Now, to give it context for the people overseas who don't know what's going on in Australia at the moment, there is, uh, there's been a push for a parliamentary vote on uh, legalising gay marriage. The Liberal Party is in power, they're the Conservative Party. They're called the Liberal Party, though, in Australia. No, it's very confusing. And the Liberal Party constituents have stated that they wish to have a national plebiscite or a referendum. And i.e., they'll give the whole of Australia their say, not just leave it up to the politicians to, to vote this in. Now, this might sound to you like a reasonable, a reasonable thing. Why not? Isn't, isn't that what you know, democracy is about? Especially for concepts such as dramatically changing the Marriage Act. But no, um, the left, the progressive left and the left in general are very upset with this whole plebiscite idea. And the reason for that is because they're not sure they'll get the result they want, i.e. it'll be defeated. The last time they let the Australian population vote on something that the left wanted pretty badly was for Australia to leave the British monarchy and become a republic, and they lost, much to their horror and dismay. That was back in 99, I think. Kind of like the Brexit of its time, except the other way around. So they don't want to take that risk again, because the left aren't about taking risks. So the last thing they want to do is put a vote to the horrible dirt people of the nation. They'd much rather have the elite politicians just decide for us, because, you know... You know, that's, that's much, much better. And if you, now, they can't come out and say that the reason for this is because, you know, they don't want to lose. So they've got a few arguments. Number one, it's going to cost money. It'll cost about a couple of hundred million dollars. And this would be money wasted that they could spend on anything else. Now, this is completely facetious when you consider how much the left themselves wastes money on pet projects. We've had it come out a uh, billion dollars rorted on childcare government services, why the government has to be involved in childcare for the love of all things holy, 
I have no idea. If you want to have a kid, well then work out how you're going to care for it. That seems pretty obvious to me. But no, billion a billion dollars rorted, stolen by people putting up fraudulent fraudulent shots saying, oh yeah, I'm taking care of 74 kids, blah, blah, blah. And they just believe them. Oh, here's, here's a million bucks. You'll need that. By the way, this thievery was most notable in the refugee South Sudanese community. Surprise, so fucking prize. When I lived in Africa, any Sudanese individual that I, or Northern Ugandan individual that I had anything to do with was an out-and-out crook. Thief. A scumbag. Anyway, so they're saying, oh, oh we don't want to hold the plebiscite because it will cost money. And by the way, needless to say, the left are constantly holding up the Conservative Party's efforts to pass this through the Parliament so a plebiscite can be held, which is costing huge amounts of money because they're Parliament sitting days. Irony much. The other reason, and this is the really laughable one that they give for not, being, for not wanting to hold a plebiscite, is the fanciful notion that gay individuals will commit suicide in utter despair that people are voting on their own personal feelings. Now, personally, if you're that mentally unbalanced that you go and top yourself because someone went out and did a vote for one day, then I don't think you're a good prospect for long-term relationship. So they're the main, the main arguments to get the plebiscite. Now, I'm against the plebiscite full stop because I'm against the whole idea of marriage full stop. I don't think there should be any say on this because what this is about, gay marriage, look, it's a smokescreen of the left it's just they're using gays. And I've spoken to, to my gay, a lot of my gay friends. Some of my gay friends have been totally sucked in on this, probably because they like the attention, because they're screaming fucking puffs. But some of my gay friends are very upset about this. They know that they are being used. They know that this is a giant sm- smokescreen from the progressive love of the left to push through their agenda of, bit by bit, destroying the f- traditional family unit. That's what this is all about. The other thing that the left are trying to destroy with this is the church. Do not forget that marriage is a religious institution that has only very recently in human history been appropriated by the state. Okay? So this is an attempt to force churches to perform gay marriages. Just like in the US, they force bakers to bake cakes against their will for gay ceremonies, marriages, whatever they call them over there. Same sort of premise. Now, what this all comes down to is they're screaming about the rights of the individual. So, you know, it's the usual me, me, me narcissism that you see propagated around by the lovely left. All these gay individuals, how sad it is, how sad, how terribly sad that they can't get married. Oh, oh, woe is us. We want equality. Woe is us. And this is all based on emotion and feelings. If, if, you, if you take major decisions on emotions as feelings, as I've already pointed out by picking apart that young lady's uh, comments on my blog, you're going to be in for a very tough time. Now, basing your logical decisions on emotional feelings on a, on a personal level is one thing, but on a national jurisprudence, jurisprudence, law and legislation level, I mean, are we joking here? But this is what they keep saying. They're the people's feelings. The worst thing about this, though, is this, this is aimed at destruction of the family. They want to just, the left wants to destroy the family so that the individuals are beholden to the state, their state property. 
the state will bring you up. From cradle to grave, the, stra- the state will, will take care of you, which means you'll be beholden to the state. I mean, if you've got a fucked up family, I mean, really fucked up, let's say, you know, your, your dad's a drug dealer and your mum's a prostitute and they beat each other up and they beat you up, at the end of the day, you can walk out. If the state's looking after you, there's not much chance of that unless you leave the country. Oh, wait, they also want to have globalism as well. I mean, where are we going to go now? Venus? So this is, this is all a big deal, boys and girls. This is all a big deal. Now, of course, a family, a family is a very precious thing because families mean children and children's needs to be taken care of and of course in this whole sorry business of these new gay family units the one thing that's that the left really wants to brush over is the effect because of course if 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 two faggots get married they're going to then want to have their kid so the effect on kids of having two gay parents as opposed to a natural, I'm not even going to say traditional, natural, biological, mother and father. Now, of course, the left is running around saying that this will have no effect on children and trotting out, you know, your, your, your usual, oh, yeah, I am, I'm 20 years old, I'm a well-adjusted, you know, children of child of gay parents, blah, 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 while thousands of, of or hundreds of, you know, foaming at the mouth, fucked up kids, uh, are all hidden away behind closed doors. And this is not the first time this has happened. Back in the 1970s, there was the passing of the uh, fault-free divorce laws to the Marriage Act in Australia. And at the same, at that time, the left wailed about the sanctity of the abused wife, never the abused husband, how she needed to have rights. So once again, individuals before the family unit. Uh, not only was no thought given to children, they actually went worse than that. Um, and by the way, I'm against fault-free fall free divorce as well, just so you know. Look, if you've got kids, then you've abdicated some of your, your rights as an individual because you now are responsible for, for bringing other human beings into the world. These additional responsibilities go beyond your individual rights. You need to care for those children in a whole and unbroken unit to the best of your abilities. So fault-free divorce works completely against this. So what happened back in the 70s? The left went on a big campaign in Australia that divorce would not affect children at all. They based this on making shit up to get what they wanted. Any contrarian arguments were shouted down. The left came up with bogus studies, waving bogus facts around. Uh... And they got it through. What even was worse was what came next. So you've got your fault-free divorce through and you said that it doesn't affect children. If it doesn't affect children, then you can't give any support to children, any official, have any official structures for support for children in the event of a family breaking down in the case of a divorce. To do so goes against your whole premise that children aren't affected by divorce. If children aren't affected by divorce, why do they need any support? As soon as you give support to children, you're saying, well, in fact, they do, need, they do need some support because you're giving to them. So the left put in place nothing on purpose for children of 
parents who were divorced in that period. Parents got support, but children didn't. Now, I've, I actually, funnily enough, because we're talking about emotions and personal experiences and blah, 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 I come to this, this, this argument based on, based on two avenues. One, looking at facts and logics, what's happened in the past, what's happening now, who's being trotted out, what they're saying, and what their intentions are behind the scenes. Two, I also happen to be the child of divorced parents. So I actually do have some skin in the game on this one, which I can draw from. So my parents got divorced in 1983. I was 12. My brother was eight. And it was a very traumatic time. And my mother and father had counselling. My mother was the crazy one. She's batshit insane. Left our father. Um, And they got support and counselling... We got nothing. We got zip. I went from a straight A student at school. I was a straight A kid, A's all the way, to C minus average, all the way through high school. Nothing was done. Nothing at all. Whole family unit broke down. It was a giant clusterfuck. So I do understand what went on. They didn't change it until until the early nineties when they started to put or late eighties, early nineties. They started to put a net processes in place, and now. Um, for divorced families, kids, kids do have a, apparently a whole uh, network there. But by that stage, uh, the fault-free divorce was in, and they weren't going to be, be able to get rid of it. And this is the same thing they want to do with gay marriage. They want to say that it doesn't affect kids at all. They want to concentrate on the rights of the individuals concerned, their emotional feelings. Apparently, these emotional feelings trump the rights of children. Um, brought into or born into, however, that can be construed into these um, artificial, fantastical family units in the future. Uh, they're condemning these kids to misery, absolute misery. At the same time, you wonder why they're trying to normalise in Australia through what's called the Safe Schools Program. This program to basically make homosexuality the new cool thing in schools as well as transgenderism. We're talking primary schools here, by the way, boys and girls. So we're talking about some seriously fucked up shit. Um, today, in the or yesterday in the Australian, was an article, kids recruited to same-sex marriage plebiscite battle, and they gave an example. Well, she's not a... I mean, she's 24 years of age now, I think. But she, this, this, this woman, uh, Miss Fontana... Grew up, I'm, I'm quoting now, grew up with two mothers but struggled with her identity and said the only time she felt stable as a child was when she was able to meet her biological father age 11. She said some children of same-sex couples experienced self-harm, suicidal thoughts and depression. Uh, we, the children of same-sex couples, want our mothers and fathers. I don't understand why society is so fiercely rejecting such a natural concept that is acceptable in every other family structure, she said. There are often serious consequences for children who are denied access to their biological parents. The cultural attitude needs to change this reason. We don't want to be in the closet either. Well, the cultural... It's not that the cultural attitude needs to change. To, to stop this happening, the cultural attitude needs to not change. We need to not accept gay marriage. Mr um, Bill Shorten, the leader of the opposition here, of course, did an old bait and switch. I'm very concerned that the Prime Minister has no idea the harm that a plebiscite will cause to thousands of LGPIXYZ Australians, Mr Shorten said. Australia has never held a national opinion poll to judge anyone else's relationship, so people are legitimately asking why it should be inflicted. So it's a bait and switch. 
He's turned the issue back to the rights of the individuals and their feelings, which is their standard ploy. They will not answer any hard questions about this. They're just going to go for individuals' rights and feelings, individuals' rights and feelings. And basing basing legislation on individuals' rights and feelings is childlike behaviour. Childlike. Our leader of the opposition has a brain... He's a twelve-year, he's a nine-year-old playing in the kiddie sandpit, and he's not in charge. This is what we have over here. The lunatics are in charge of the asylum. The thing is, is that marriage is a religious institution, as I already previously mentioned. So, what should happen to resolve this hideous issue is for the state, the government, to get out of the marriage business, put it back in the hands of the churches. And religious denominations recognise ones, not your hocus-pocus Scientologists who turn up out of the blue. And the traditional religion of Australia, which is Christianity in all of its forms. If you don't want to be married before God, well then the state can join you in a civil union, but you won't have the same right as people who are married. That's, the one. That's, that's how we can get the power back in the church. That's how we can turn this thing around. That's how we can try and save the traditional family unit, which has been under such concerted attack from the left for so long. You're not going to get this by blocking a gay marriage bill because there's already been so much damage done. On the conservatives, we need to go on the attack ourselves. We need to go sharply on the attack. There needs to be... Marriage, if you're married, you, you have a certain level of... of um, you're held in the community in a certain level. If you're just in a civil union, that it's not, not at the same level as that. Because if you're getting married before the eyes of God, you're saying you're dedicating yourself to the family unit and the culture to which you belong. That's so important these days. And we need to turn this around. Now, of course, I exist in the red pill fraternity the manosphere and we all know how marriage has been so degraded and the church has been so degraded if you read dalrock who's a fantastic blogger and i've got to put him on my blog roll i keep reading him through the alpha game blog roll but i've got to put him on my own one he shows how the church has also been completely subjugated by the progressive left in regards to uh, dalrock actually let me have a look he's actually got a post today giving an example Giving an example of where are you? A church in the United States who encourages wives to divorce. Yeah. Um, here we go. Empowers rationalization. Pastor Pal, a wife who wants to divorce is like Christ. A pastor or elder who encourages a wife to remain married is like Satan tempting Christ. Remaining married is foolhardly and sinful, like jumping off a tall building to test God. Divorcing is an act of obedience to God. I mean, they're literally saying blasphemy and pretending that it's, it's normal. This is, this, this is just a based behavior. Absolutely a based behavior. Now, marriage, red pill. And it's a huge problem, isn't it? I mean, so many women have been 
infected by some women have been infected by the progressive left by what society tells them by what the media tells them and they're literally unmarriageable i mean as a man you'd be taking a ginormous risk marrying these sorts of girls but but this is also a giant opportunity i mean think about it It's pretty critically easy to be able to identify a woman you don't want to marry these days. If she spouts any form of left-wing bullshit, if she believes in feminism or the patriarchy, if her hair is dyed a funny colour, if she's got any sorts of piercings at all. Um, oh, that's right. Return of Kings had a uh, Return of Kings had a post on this today. Hang on. 13 signs that a woman is toxic. Well, yeah, 13 signs that a woman you don't want to marry. This is where I'm getting this from. So, oh, fish mouth. Uh, abnormal body modifications, the thousand cock stare, crazy eyes, too much makeup, the fake smile, or the no smile, giving the middle finger in photos, the forward head, the alpha smirk, the tough girl look, the condescending look, the forced deep voice, the hands on hips. That's all pretty funny, but actually a couple of those are actually quite true. Um... It's actually girls who are marriageable, of marriageable quality, stand out like dogs' balls now. They really do. They really do stand out like dogs' balls. Uh, and what they are is they're, is they're never trying to get the centre of attention. They're not attention whores. They're quiet. Um, but doesn't mean they don't say anything. They, they get involved. They're fun to be around without trying to be the centre of attention. They're not trying to be guys. They're feminine without going overboard and slathering makeup on and being in the hair all the time. And they're never on their phones. They're absolutely never on their phones. I mentioned this last week. All right. If you're on your phone all the time, you're trying to be distracted. You want to be distracted. You've got no thoughts in your brain. There's nothing there. You're all based on nothing. If you're a guy and you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, but I'm on my phone all the time, well, then the same goes for you. Look, as men, if you want to attract these great marriageable girls and marry them before God and start saving our culture, well, you've got to make yourself something of yourself too. You just can't be there 24 years old and going, yeah, but I'm a really nice guy, you know, and, and, and I'll be a good... No, you won't, because you don't know anything. You need to get out there. You need to make something of yourself. Remember, men make themselves. And, they have, and you have to continually do it. You can't just join the army, go and do a tour, come back and think, that's it, I'm a man now. What you are is someone who's on their way. I've done a bunch of shit. People look at my resume and think I'm lying. And most of the time, I'm toning it down because people don't believe how much stuff I've done. But I have to continually make myself as well. I've been married for eight years. I never take my wife for granted. I never just think she's a comfortable thing to have around me. I always know that this relationship has to be worth more to her than if we weren't together. Which means, it doesn't mean I run around after her. It doesn't mean I run around doing things for her. 
but it means I don't take our relationship for granted. I don't get lazy. You can't be lazy in a relationship if you want to hold it together. You've got to be working at it. Taken for granted? Well, you'll get someone who's willing to be taken for granted. But it cuts both ways. And this is the big problem that Dalrock has identified in that the church are saying that women are the pussy on the pedestal and, and literally women, women speak with God's voice. And this is fucking rubbish. It cuts both ways. So as a guy in marriage, what can you expect in any relationship for that matter? What can you expect? That you get treated the same way that, that she treats you the way you, that you treat her. If you're getting any shit, if she's making you crawl over pebbles, let alone broken glass, it's just you're with the wrong person. You're with a child. There was a thing going on Facebook the other day about, oh, I can't remember exactly. But I had to, there was, there was, there was something on Facebook that I, that I caught my eye that someone had posted up. And there was a, a comment from a woman that I had to copy and paste into a Word document. And here's what she said. Do the opposite and you will get more sex. It is a proven fact that men who treat women with respect, treat them as equals, help out with the kids and do their fair share of the house load are more attracted to women than those who don't, which in turn means more sex. See, this is the wrong way. This is complete bullshit. This is like she wants to... She's, she's, this, this woman has, has, has swallowed the progressive left Kool-Aid. And she thinks that sex is, is, a, is, a, is a reward that needs to be doled out to her obedient dog-like husband. And this is complete bullshit. As for, regards for women finding attractive men who, who act like little lap dogs around them, well, this is completely far-fetched. So what do you do, you say? What do you do? Are you saying that, on the one hand, they're saying you've got to treat them as equals, help out with the kids, do their fair share of the housework, and then you'll be doled out sex and blah, 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 and you're saying, no, Adam, you don't do that. So what do you do? You know, treat them like shit. No, you don't do that either. So what do you do? You act like an adult and you treat them like an adult as well. That's it. Does the housework needs to be done? You see something needs to be done, do it. Just do it. You don't go and tell her you've done it. You just do it. And you'll, you know what? You'll, it'll naturally gravitate because, because this, this is how adult, adult life works. With the chores in the house, the person who wants to do them the most will end up doing them. So, in my house, uh, I like eating really nice food and I can cook way better than my wife. So guess what? I do the cooking. I also need to have the right stuff to cook with, otherwise dinner's going to be pretty crap. So guess what? I do the shopping. As far as clothes go, my wife has far more clothes than me. Uh, she cares about clothes much more than I do. So guess what? She cleans all the clothes. Uh, the bathroom. I really don't care about the bathroom that much. I mean, it's just the bathroom. I only spend a little bit of time in there. If it's clean, I'm happy. If it's not, I'm okay with that. So guess who cleans the bathroom? My wife. Guess who cleans the kitchen? Both of us. Guess who does the other stuff? Whoever gets around to it. The garden. It doesn't even factor on my wife's, in my wife's brain that there's a garden. So I just do the garden. Do I ever go to my wife and say, you can fucking clean the garden? No, because that's the behaviour of a child. To work out how to live, to be able to be of marriageable quality, 
to attract the good women. You need to get out there in the world. Do stuff. Live a little. Leave home. Go into shared accommodation. Share with seven other people and see what sort of behaviour behavior gets you to be a really popular member of the house and what sort of behaviour gets you kicked out onto the street. Right? Sucking up to everyone and doing all the, all the chores for everyone is not sustainable. That's not what gets you the most popular person in the house. The most popular person in the house is someone who pulls their weight and is really nice to be around and doesn't dump their shit on everyone. I suppose that's a good epigram for life, really, isn't it, when you think about it? So, lots of stuff to talk about. But really, this has all been about relationships and marriage, gay marriage, normal marriage. Marriage is an institution of the family unit. The family unit is the bedrock of our culture and civilization, and it's been broken down amongst us. So... You're a young person listening to this. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? You're going to go, oh, I'm just going to be a man going my own way. And I'm going to oh, fuck the world. And I'm going to get off. Yeah, but you're taking for granted that all of the power coming to your house, the water coming out of the tap when you turn it on, the streets being safe. You're taking for granted that all that stuff's just going to continually be there if it continues to break down the way it is. Well, I, probably for another decade or so at least. After that, I don't know. And then we'll see. Shoutouts. Good Cappy. A good Cappy recently, this week, is off on a motorbike ride, meeting all the other Manosphere bloggers, having poker sessions and smoking cigars. And this makes me jealous and sad because I'm only human as well and I, you know, I get jealous and sad too because I'm stuck here in fucking Melbourne where I... Oh, look, oh God. Three years I've been here, I've probably met I'm I'm really thinking at the moment. One two two and a half maybe three and a half people that I want to hang out with. I just I don't know, Melbourne is just beyond me. Australia, Australia is beyond me. Four. I'll give it four. There's two halves in there and then three. But then one of those moved to Brisbane, so it doesn't count. So ah, oh. so when I see Cappy just cruising around and, and having these good old times, it just pisses me off. Damn you, Cappy. Anyway, Aaron Cleary, CaptainCapitalism.com. One of the few people on the internet telling the truth as it is and charging you for it. If you're a young individual and you've got something that you need help out with, go to his asshole consulting. Pay him 50 bucks, 100 bucks, however much he asks. He'll do a video and he'll tell you what you need to know. And he's got his new book, Reconnaissance Man, out. Speaking of new books, my second book, Run Guts, Paul Cones, which is about... Exactly what I've been talking about now. Not relationships, not marriage. But the fact that you never arrive as a man to be a man. It's a continual job of making yourself. Reinventing yourself. Demonstrating. Walking the walk. That's what it is. At the start of the book, I've got lazy. I've got 
complacent. I'm taking things for granted. I've done lots of stuff before this and I feel entitled to people telling me what a wonderful individual I am. So I'm living for the outside world, which is completely wrong. And the book's about me flipping that and going, well, hang on, hang on. This isn't, this isn't, the, way, this isn't the way I wanted to go. So Run Guts Pull Cones is about me then going off to Italy and doing a rafting season in the Italian Alps and having a bunch of adventures and working out this guy thing. I think it's what it's really about, working out this guy thing. It's been selling okay. I haven't got any reviews yet, though, which is really weird because Pushing Lumber Downhill got a stack of reviews very early on and the new book hasn't yet, but there we go. Uh, you can find me at my blog, pushingrubberdownhill.com, which is the title of my first book. Uh, I'm now on Gab, which is the new version of Twitter. Um, uh, I'm under Adam Piggott on Gab. So follow me there. I never did the Twitter thing, but I'm going to do the Gab thing because it looks cool. So it's just in beta. It's just starting out. And when you when you go to sign up, you actually go on a waiting list. But it said to me when I signed up two week late waiting list and I was in within six hours. So I got the email inviting me in. Maybe that's because I'm a special. I don't know. Um, but uh, you can follow me on Gab as well. Um, that's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you have a great week. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I discovered an amazing, amazing rum this week. I'm going on a bit of a rum phase, like I've been a bourbon man and a scotch man, but I'm really getting into rums. Plantation, five-year-old Barbados rum. If I could only have one bottle of rum in my personal bar, this would be it. Um, retail in the United States, I think, is under 20 bucks. In Australia, it'll set you back $85 if you can find it. It is seriously phenomenal. Plantation, um, aged five years, Barbados rum. And they've got a whole bunch of different ones. So, like, they've got the Jamaican rum. And they've got all these cool bottles with, like, this... Um, uh, around it, they've got um, uh, this um, kind of a, a loose netting. It's just like a nostalgia feel on it. But they've got lots of different ones. Guiana rum, uh, Guatalama, pineapple infused, original dark rum. That sounds awful. Um, I've got a whole bunch of them. But Plantation, five-year-old Barbados rum. Holy crap. Just amazing. Um if you're a rum person, go grab yourself a bottle. This has been Adam Pickett, Pushing Rubber Podcast, the marriage episode. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all next week.